Anyway, so welcome back. Um, so as we wrap up this five-week series that we've been calling Searching for Me, and what we said back at the beginning is actually we could call this series Searching for Truth, where we've been looking at this thing called values, like the most important truths, like to tell us, first of all, like who we are, like and who we were created to be, and then out of that, what is the mission and purpose of what we need to be spending our lives on, our time, our attention, our energy, our efforts, and our money? How, how, do we, what, how do we spend that to make sure that our mission and our purpose are actually accomplished? So about a month ago, we looked at how, how the Bible made it clear that Jesus made it really, really clear, like what his top priority is. And therefore, therefore what we looked at over the last month in here is therefore as his followers, individually and then together as a church, our top priority is to join Jesus in what he wants to do. This is why he said he came. He said, I came to seek and save lost and broken people living in a lost and broken world so they can know, right, that a real, like better, he used the word abundant life is actually possible. Just put a little faith in me, right? And then last week we unpacked this, this idea of um, kind of hands in the middle, our, our willingness to, to do everything necessary. Like let's start some new things and let's do some things in new ways as well as let, let's kind of look at what we're doing and, and maybe throw out some old or dead you know, methodologies that aren't working anymore, throw them overboard if they don't get us to where we wanna go. Our mission, which is taking the, law, the awesome life of Christ to lost and people, Lost and broken people in a lost and broken world who don't know what Jesus has to offer yet. Methodologies, right? How we do church will always change, right? But our message, who Jesus is and what he said is true, that, that will never change. We won't budge off of that. Everything must be run through this filter. It has to be for his, remember this, God's glory, and for there, and there is people who don't know him yet, all right? So we, we did this last week, so here in the room with me or watching online around the world, let's just all say it together. Here we go, one, two, three. For his glory, for their benefit, everything, including reopening our church. I wanna talk about that, right? Meeting together in, in physical buildings once again. So before, before I get into what I wanna talk about today, I wanna I want to talk about that, and we're gonna talk about it for, for a few minutes here, all right? So beginning uh, two weeks from this weekend on Sunday, October 4th, our plans are to open our doors back at uh, beginning holding two services at each one of our campuses on Sunday morning at nine and, and 11. Now, let me make this really, 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 really clear, all right, why we're not doing this. This is the reason we're not, right? The, the reason we're, we're not doing this is we're not doing this to make a statement to the world or to our government that we're taking back our rights, all right? Listen, I've gotten the emails, hundreds of them, okay? And, and I understand you know, I understand you're frustrated. I'm frustrated too. You know, personally, and I'm not gonna get political, I think there's some people making decisions that are inequitable, right? And, and, and unfair in the directions of houses of faith. I, I, I agree with you, right? We all have the same conspiracy theories going through my head that everybody else has, okay? But that's not why we're reopening our doors. We're reopening our doors, doing it first and foremost for his glory in a way that, that would glorify and honor God's heart, which is always, his heart is always for the benefit of, of people who need him, right? For, for, the, for those of us who call Flatirons, that's my home, for, for the benefit of our own souls, right? And our mental health in a, really, in a time of crisis, all right? But also, also in a way that benefits the people in our lives, our friends and our family members whom we want so much to bump into Jesus, which is our primary mission. See, see God's glory, and this is where I wanna start today, okay? God's glory and what benefits people that he loves cannot be separated. You can't say they're two different things. So look at this, this is, John says this, okay? And John's one of Jesus' very first followers. He right? says this, if anyone says, I love God, and most of us go, do you love God? We all nod our heads, right? I love God and hates his brother, 
he, the anyone, he is a liar. Liar about what? Loving God, right? For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, right there, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And that word hates there, don't, don't think of it the way we use the word hate now. You know, we think like, I hate her. I'm so mad at her. I, I want her to suffer. So that's not what it means here. It's, it's much more of, in this context, I, I, I hate that person. I, I don't care what they need. I just want what I want. See, not caring about how our actions and our choices, even if we have the right to do them, and how we carry them out, not caring about how that lands on the people around us, is totally counter to what Jesus taught us. This is how Jesus said it, all right? Let's just go right to the man, all right? He says this, a new commandment I give to you. And you know, it's not new. It's just, I need you to think about it, what I'm talking about, in a new way. Does that make sense? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Here's their twist. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If, conditional, you have love for one another. See, because everything must be for his glory and for their benefits, one of the questions that's been going through my mind over the last couple of months as I've considered like, how are we gonna reopen? It's been this. How is this gonna be perceived by all people? Right, especially people who are, are watching to find out if Christians just do what Christians wanna do that serves themselves, or do they really care about their community? Because by this, how we love people on the outside who are watching us, and please know, they're watching, all right? The number one way that all people decide if we follow a Jesus that they could trust is how we treat them. That's just true. So beginning October 4th, two weekends from now, right, we will open up our campuses, okay? But I told you last week, it's gonna be different. We're gonna have very reduced seating, which will vary from campus to campus. Um, there will be live worship at all of our campuses. And each service, uh, my, me or Ben will, will, will be on the screen at, at all of our campuses. Now, now listen, you'll be able to put in a request starting next weekend to reserve your seat for the service that you wanna attend that week, okay? You'll go to our website, which is just, and this will open up next, next weekend, flatironschurch.com slash RSVP, right? You can get on there and you can see like which campuses are offering kids ministry because they might not all open with kids ministry because different cities and different counties have different guidelines and we're, and we're, gonna, we're gonna play by the rules, all right? You're also gonna see on there what safety protocols you are agreeing to if you were to decide to attend, which will probably most likely be restaurant rules. You know what I mean by that? So you wear a face covering when you come in, as you walk the halls, as you drop your kids off, when you get to your seat, like we're doing in this room right now, you can take, you can take them off. Colorado says masks are recommended but not required. So we're just gonna try to love each other well in here, okay? But just so you know, I wanna, I wanna emphasize this, all right? Um, being a really big church in Colorado, we're under a really big microscope, right? right? I, I mean, a big microscope, all right? So this is not, and, and you know who you are, okay? This is not the time to make your stand or make a statement about your opinion about COVID-19 or your, your rights. This is the time for us to demonstrate laying down our rights for something more important. Listen how Apostle Paul says this, it's really famous, he says this. Um, and, and, he's, and he's gonna quote, quote what people are saying, right? I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything's beneficial. You have the right I'm not sure it's beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. And the Greek there is builds up others. Not everything benefits others. You have the right to do it. It's not helpful right now. Does that make sense? 
So hang on to that, and let's get into this fifth value. It's gonna be really, really, really practical. The application when you, when you, when you stop watching today is gonna go like, well, the answer is I'm gonna do that or not. It's not like, well, what should I do? It's gonna be very, very obvious, okay? So our fifth value around here is called relational evangelism, and you're gonna forget that. So the way we say it around here in plain English is me too, or come and see. Come and see, right? And we say this all the time, right? It basically means this. We believe that the best way, and the reason is because we see it demonstrated over and over in the Bible, which we're gonna look at in a minute, the best way for a person to be introduced to what Jesus says is true is when somebody cares enough about that person to invite them to come and see what they have found and it's helping their life, come and see if it might help you and make up your own mind, right? And I'll, I'll show you an example of this. So, so this takes place like, so there's John the Baptist is baptizing people, right? And he has his own followers, all right? And they're helping him baptize. And then Jesus walks down the side of the river, right? And John the Baptist looks at his young followers and goes, that's the one, go follow him. So they, when it says they follow Jesus, it doesn't mean they're like believing, they're literally following him down the road, okay, like in single file. So Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? I like the version, what are you looking for? That's a great question. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Like, where are you going? Where's, all right, he said to them, here it is, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Now remember that, they stayed with him that day, okay? One of the two who heard John speak, John the Baptist, the guy who was baptizing me, and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. We talked about that whole boat story back in the first week. He first found his own brother, Simon Peter, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. We found the one that, that we learned about in Hebrew school that God was gonna send, right? He, he brought Peter to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter, okay? So that happened that day, right? Follow it. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. That's another section of Israel. He found Philip and said to Philip, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So they all knew each other. They're all buddies, probably all grew up together. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael looks back at me and says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And you think Nazareth out, but Kansas. It's the same effect, all right? So <laughs> don't write me, Kansas, I don't care. All right, so uh, Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, what? Come and see. Right? You guys see how this works? Okay? Jesus says to Andrew, come and see, and he does. Then Andrew goes and gets his brother, Peter, who's his closest friend. We looked at week one, they work on a boat together. Right? They're, they're brothers, they, they've, they've grown up together. Right? So he's the closest man in his life and says, I found something good, come and see. Next day, Jesus finds Philip and says, follow me. Philip goes and finds his friend Nathaniel and says, I found something good. And Nathaniel's response is, how do you know it's good? Why do you believe it's good? And Philip doesn't preach to him. He just says, listen, just come and see. Make up your own mind. And that's how it goes. Jesus invites Andrew to come and see. Andrew invites his brother, come and see. Jesus says, invites Philip, come and follow me. And the first thing Philip does is invite his friend to come and see what he's found. Now, this is important. Andrew invites Peter, and Philip invites Nathaniel to come and see. Andrew and Philip, the inviters, have been following Jesus a grand total of one day. 
one day, okay? So I think it's safe to say they weren't believers. They were at best curious. I don't think you, I know you couldn't call them Christians because it's not for several chapters before I think, the guy goes, I think he might be the Christ, all right? They think he might be, but they finally say it late, chapters later, right? This is all they knew. They heard someone say, maybe back at school or something like that, one day God would send someone who would help them, who would deliver them, who would connect them back to God. But they weren't Bible scholars, let alone deep theologians who had everything figured out. Oh, well, you can quote the Old Testament and it all makes sense. No, they simply recognize this guy is different, right? What this guy is saying and offering is different and it's better. And we talked about this last week. And it finally makes sense. And because they had somebody in their life that they loved, the first thing they did was come and see if you think it's different and better for you and makes sense for you. And then how about we try to figure this out together? That's all I'm talking about with relational evangelism, okay? And we do the same thing. We don't even, we're not even aware of it. We do it all week long. I find a good restaurant. I find a good beverage, all right? I find this great show to binge watch on Netflix over the last eight months, all right? And you know what you do next time you see your buddies or your friends? It's like, hey, I found something good. I love it. You ought to check it out and make up your own mind and see if you love it too. That's all. And you know, if they ask, they go back and go, like, why do you like that? Then you tell them, I don't, this is what I got out of it. This is how it changed me. This is a part of my life that's getting a little bit better. I'm doing some stuff differently now. It's been helpful. Relational evangelism is not, I have 50 Bible verses that I'm gonna throw at people. You know what? People who don't believe the Bible don't care about Bible verses, right? Oh, yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to apologize for or explain the Crusades or the TV you know, pastor who had an affair or embezzled money or, or the politician who every election year claims to be a devout Christian, okay? And I'm not political. They all do it. You, you just tell your story. Because nobody can argue with your story. You know why? It's your story. They might say, no, it's not for me, but let them say no for themselves. Jason, this is really important. Just make sure that the reason that they know you're inviting them to come and see is because it helped you and you like it and you're inviting them because you care for them, not because you think they're a project that needs fixed. Nobody wants to be a project. They're not. They're just us. They're our family members. They're our, they're our friends, right? So uh, a few weeks ago, I, I, I kind of shared kind of like a, a, like a what, what I would think would be like the, the perfect church. Because we looked at this little church that was in this town called Corinth, and it was made up of this. Remember this? Like one third of the people at that church didn't believe in Jesus, all right? They didn't, they didn't know. Maybe they lost a bet. I don't know why they were there, right? I, I have a feeling that they were looking for something, even if they didn't admit it. So their life choices naturally reflected their belief system. That made sense. I'm at church, but nothing's changed in my life, okay? Then you get the, the, the middle third who were like starting to get to know and trust Jesus a little bit. I don't, I don't know if he's the son of God. He's a good teacher. It makes sense. He's a good you know, moral you know, value or something like that. But then in that, somewhere in that third, things start to click. I'm starting to believe that maybe, maybe he could help me. Maybe he could bring healing and maybe he could bring that grace they keep talking about or maybe he could bring forgiveness. And they'd started, that middle third, they started or, or were open to rethinking some things in their life. Maybe even starting to go, I think he is, he's the one. Then you have this other third that, 
They, they put their trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. They're actually pursuing getting to know him more so they can become more like the same kind of person Jesus was and is, okay? So that's the third. So I'm a visual person, okay? So this is what that looks like in, in my mind, okay? And I, if I was creative, I would make a chart, but there's a line here, okay? See it? Maybe, maybe the, those people that can do stuff can do that. All right, so anyway, so, so on the... On the Far, far left, so you're far left, down here on this extreme, let's say this is people who have, they, have no, they haven't thought about God, they have no connection to God, God's kind of irrelevant to their life, they're, they're, they're down on this end, okay? And, and you can come up with your examples of whoever that is. On this end down here is like, they're just like Jesus. So like think like Mother Teresa, the Apostle Paul, Pastor Jim, you know, people like that, you know, and come on, get, anyway, all right, right. And in between there is that journey, is, that, is that, that journey from wherever that person is that starts kind of looking that direction, I think I want a closer connection to God. And just so that we have a, a marker of where Jesus says things change, so like, let's just make this like ground zero, and I'm gonna call it baptism. It's an outward symbol that a person has enough level of faith and trust in Jesus to say, he's my Lord and Savior. Time out, I'm not saying you're not a Christian if you're not baptized. Save that email, okay? But Jesus says that when you come to a place of belief, he says be baptized as an outward expression of that inner faith. Take a breath. Okay, now, here's the thing, and this is not my opinion. This is fact. This is data. It's based on thousands and thousands of churches over the last several decades experiencing the same thing. Historically, and I know there are exceptions to what I'm about to say, um, but, but people who are most likely to invite one of their friends or family to come and see have, have either been Christians for a very short time. I'm talking about like less than two years. People who have been Christians less than two years like do 90% of the come and sees. They're super excited about what they have recently discovered and they can't help but like share that with people that they really, really care about. So that's the first group that invites the most. The other one are, I have a family member or a really good friend in a moment of crisis and I'm throwing out a lifeline to them hoping it might help. And those are all good reasons, okay? Now, here's what's gonna make Christians mad, okay? The people least likely to invite anyone to come and see, and again, I'm sure you're the exception, all right, are those who have been Christians two years or more. Think about it. The longer people are Christians, again, historically, the less likely they are to have come and see be a part of their life. Or I'll just say it in this language. Come and see isn't really a high value the longer you're a Christian, historically. And they've either... They've either separated themselves from, from, from most people kind of down to, to, to the left, and maybe for a season they had to, okay, to, to, to get strong, to get some things figured out, except for family, you just can't get away from them. They're Thanksgiving, all right? But, um, or here's the other thing that's more common. They're, they're just busy with their own lives, raising their own kids, and, or maybe focusing on their own, their own growth and what Jesus can do for them. And, and I get it. I'm not throwing stones. I really, life is tough and life gets busy. But we can't let go of this. Jesus makes it clear why he came and why he started his church, which is this. The more you get to know Jesus and everything that he taught and stood for, it's impossible to say, I love Jesus. Yes, I do, you know, down here. But I'm too busy to invite anybody down in that direction to, to come and, and see, which kind of feels like I got mine 
Good luck to you. You're on your own. Somebody else is gonna have to do it because I'm going this way. And I know what that feels like. It feels like a guilt trip. It feels like pressure. It's, it's, it's not, but speaking for myself, some, sometimes when I sit where, or listen to where you are, from people, someone like me talking, and I hear something I know is true but not happening in my life, my first response is to get defensive or, or be offended. Who do you think you are judging me? I don't know your, right, right? That's not what I'm trying to do here. But, but what we've been looking at over the past month is that if values really drive everything they do, and they do one way or the other. And we have seen what God says he values and what God says is true and important for our individual lives and then his command and his commission for his army called, called the church, all right? When you consider that, we are left with two deals on the table, all right? And, and it's a really intrusive question but, or statement, it's like this. We either do or don't value the same things that Jesus does. That's just true. We either do or don't and our lives reflect it. And if Jesus says the number one like tell of whether or not you love him is how, how you love people that he loves, and if John writes the person who claims to love God but doesn't care about his neighbor's needs is a liar about loving God, and if we all shake our heads every time I, I say all of this has to be for his glory and for their benefit, then we have to go back to week one, biblical authority, which goes like this. God describes a better way to live for us and for their benefit, but it's conditional. Right? If we're willing to adjust our lives to what God says is right, true, and best. If we're not willing to adjust our lives, nothing gets better for them or for us. So the question is, are, are we willing, am I willing to begin to ask God to not just show me some vague reference to show me somebody who needs to come and see, but begin specifically asking God every day, God, I'm open. Will you, will you bring somebody into my mind? And I bet a lot of us, if you're 12 or 112, there's someone's coming to mind and you're having a mental gymnastic argument right now about, I don't want, I want to do that, but begin to ask God to bring someone into your mind and ask him to bring someone into your path and then give you the ability to have the wisdom and discernment to see them. They need to come and see. Even though they have no idea that they do. But you know who knows? You know. You know why I know you know? Because you know how good Jesus has been to you. And you know someone in your life who could benefit from what Jesus offers. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna end this series with an experiment. And I think some of you are gonna be really jacked. I mean, you're gonna be like so happy, like challenge accepted, right, right? And some of you get mad at me. But if you follow social media, that's not new. Okay, anyway, so <laughs> I wanna say something, but I'm not, because I'm growing, all right? I'm moving down here, all right? So next week, we're launching a new series, okay? It's called First Comes Love. It's based on a beautiful poem that we all grew up with. It goes like this, Jim and Robin sitting in a tree, K-I-S, sing-alongs, K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes love, then comes Mary's, then comes baby in a baby carriage, all right? So, so Ben's gonna kick it off next week, all right? And he's gonna talk about the kissing part, which creeps me out a little bit because he's married to my daughter. But anyway, it happens. All right, so, so he's gonna talk about attraction, right? What, what we are attracted to and, or, or we're attracted to, what, what we're looking for, okay? In the most important possible relationship of our whole life. So we're gonna attract a can attract attraction, that's confusing to say, and then we're gonna go to what love really is. And then we're gonna go like what marriage is and what it takes to not just get married, but stay, stay married. And then, you know, the baby cares, what the heck do you do when they go, hey, here, it's a girl. And you're like, not prepared, right? Um, what, what am I, so now listen, here's what I know, because I, I just know, I've done this a long time. I know what some of you are thinking or saying to me in your mind right now. Irrelevant. 
I, I'm already married and I have kids and they're all grown or whatever, or how about this, I'm divorced and this subject is, it's a moot point to me, all right? Maybe, but I don't think so. And here's like, speaking from experience, in any one of those areas of your life, attraction all the way down to parenthood, right? anytime you put that on cruise control and say, that's okay, I don't have to pay attention to it anymore, it's fine. It is not long until you wake up one day and realize, ah, it's not fine, right? Whether you've been, you're dating or you've been married 50, 50 years. The other reality is this, at least half of Flatirons isn't married. Isn't married yet or isn't married anymore, right? And we're always asking the unmarried people of our church to do the math and apply the teachings and the applications to their lives as single people. You'll figure it out, right? So, hey, already married people, you'll be fine, okay? It's your turn to do a little bit of math and see how some of this applies to you. That's fair, right? That's fair. So, if you think that someday you might wanna get married or married again, right? Or you're already married, but you're paying attention and you want it to get better, or you're not married ever or anymore and don't plan to, but you have people in your life that ask you to speak into their relationships, all right? Present or future. Then I think this series is for you. Now, now, now here's the twist on it. This is gonna start making some people mad, all right? We are going to intentionally, Ben and I, we talked about this for the last several months. We're gonna lean this series in this direction. We're gonna teach this series for the person who's new to, kind of new to faith and doesn't know how to put their relationships and Jesus together, all the way back there to the person going, I'm in a crisis, I need help, I, I'm open to even hearing about Jesus. So we're gonna go this way on this, uh, on this series, and here's why. And this is just sobering when I say this. One of those, we've been working with this research group and they did a survey of Colorado, of, actually of Northern Colorado, and it said this, is that, and I don't know how they do this. It's kind of scary, right? Based on COVID and based on the internet surfing habits and the online purchases and the lifestyle choices of people in Northern Colorado, right? 30% of married couples will file for divorce in the next 18 months unless something drastically changes. Now, what might be the best source of something needs to drastically change and I'm just gonna throw it out there, Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. I think it might be Jesus speaking truth with a lot of grace and a lot of forgiveness and a lot of strength and a lot of courage and a lot of hope. I, I think that might be the answer. And honestly, I don't know what second place would be compared to that. Number one feedback, and Ben would agree with this, all right? I've been here almost 15 years. The number one feedback I've heard in, in lobbies and in emails, goes something like this. Hey, hey, Jim, this church, and when they say this church, what they mean is what, what I heard from Jesus through this church, okay? So Jesus gets credit. Save my marriage. Or got me through my divorce even, all right? Save my family, save my life. It's the number one thing I hear. So here's the challenge. If you have someone in your life that hasn't paid a lot of attention to Jesus up to this point, but you know, you know, 
needs to hear from Jesus around this subject of relationships and marriage, past, present, and future, before they get into one or before they get into the next one, all right? Then invite them to come and see. Well, how? Well, online, like, hey, watch it at your house, on your computer, whatever, or how about this? Invite them over, you know, eat together, and then watch it together, and then talk about, like, what part, like, resonated with you. I mean, this would be great for high school students to do. This would be great for, for, for retired couples to do, right? To go, I wish I would've known that 30 years ago, but talk about what parts resonated and what parts didn't, and then see where the conversation goes, all right? I'm, you're not signing up to be a marriage counselor, right? You're, you don't have to offer advice. You don't have to throw a bunch of Bible verses at them. Just listen. My friend James, he was quoting this old, 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 like spiritual mystic who said this, says, listening and loving are so close that you can't tell them apart sometimes. Because if somebody really listens to you, not waiting to talk to you, but listens to you, you feel safe and loved. Just listen. And most of you hear that and go, yeah, yeah, that's a reasonable request. I don't plan on doing it, but it makes sense with everything they've been teaching for the last month in here, okay? All right, that's between you and God. Here's the second part of the challenge, and this is the part that's really gonna make some of you mad, right? Email Ben. All right, so when, when our campus is open in a couple weeks on October 4th, and you go online to reserve your spot in the limited seating campuses, all right? Talk to two groups of people here. If, if you either feel like you personally are feeling lost and broken in that part of your life that I talked about here and what we're gonna address, here's the other part. Or if you're willing to invite someone in your life that is lost and broken in that part of their life, and you believe that this is that crisis moment that they might actually say yes to your, to your come and see, bump into Jesus maybe for the first time in this tough time in their life. So reservations for a seat at one of our campuses are gonna open on, on the Monday before the weekend. But here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have a early access that's gonna open up on each Sunday. All right, but you can get on the website and you can hit early access. And, and we're trusting you to have integrity here, right? But what you're saying by early access is, I'm bringing someone with me who needs to bump into Jesus or I'm hurting in this part of my life and I, I, I really need to be there. If you hit early access, your name and your guests will be given priority. Right? I think there'll be enough seats for everyone, but we're gonna make sure first things first. Why, why, why were you doing that, Jim? Because all of this is for his glory and for their benefit, right? Now, either that is a value and we believe it, or it's just more religious noise that sounds really nice, but we have no plans to adjust ourselves to what God said is important. I'm gonna close with this. This is so good. This is what Paul writes. It's really, really famous, and uh, it's really beautiful when you let it sink in. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Calls means it's that moment where you look up and go, God, will you save me? Jesus, will you come into my life? I need healing, I need forgiveness. I don't have it all figured out, but I need you in my life. I'm calling on you to save me. And his answer will be yes. Now here's a logical, this is just a logical track. Look at this. How then will they call on him whom they not believe? You're not gonna call anybody you don't even believe in, followed by this. And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? That makes sense. And how are they to hear without somebody preaching or teaching them? Okay, that's, makes sense. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And they are us now, right? As it is written, this is so great, listen. How beautiful are the feet of those who, who bring or preach the, the good news. And I remember the first time I ever heard that, I went, that's a weird verse. Paul's into feet. I mean, it's, uh, right? like, it's like, how beautiful are the feet who bring good news 
But it's referencing something that, I'll just give you a couple examples and you're gonna go, yep, I get it now. Like, has there ever been a time in your life where you were waiting on somebody to bring you some news, good or bad, it's just important news, and you're like getting more nervous because you, you, you know this is really, really important. And then you hear footsteps coming up the sidewalk or coming down the hallway or something like that, and now your heart's going, right, because they're about to deliver news that could change your life, good or bad. That's the feat we're talking about. Or how about this? Hey, parents, or, or, or maybe students, you've, you've experienced this, all right? So your, your teenage kid has been out at night, and maybe they're 16, 17, and this is their first solo trip out at night with their driver's license and stuff like that, and they're supposed to be home by nine, and they're not. It's 9.15, it's 9.30, and you know, but nine to 9.30, you're just mad. I can't wait till they get home. I'm good. They're ground, so grounded, right, right? But then it's 10, and it's 10.30, and they're not answering their cell phone, right? And now you know what? You're not mad. You're just scared. And the only thing that matters is I need them home. And then you hear the garage door go up or the headlights come across the, the, the front windows, right? Remember that feeling? Oh, that's good news. You're still gonna yell at them, okay, because that's your job, all right? But, but down deep, you're, I'm just so glad that they're safe. That's what this verse is referring to. There are a whole bunch of people that not only God loves, but we love. They're in our heads right now and are waiting on us to say, not just to them, but back to God, hey God, here am I, here are us, send me, I'll go. I, this is the weirdest statement I've ever made in church. I want to be the church of beautiful feet. That should be our new t-shirt, right? The beautiful feet church. Um, but more important, right, there's a whole world out there. And I'm not talking about the earth, I'm talking about your world that you spend 18 hours a day in, who are waiting on some beautiful feet to come in their direction, like came in our direction one day. And they won't even know it. They don't even know they need it until a day comes when they call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and he saves them. Because you said, here am I, and for their benefit, I'll go, come and see. And their lives are different. That's what happened for us, right? Let's pray. So God, um, none of us got to a place where we, called on your name and said, I need you in my life. I need some help in my life. I need some forgiveness in my life. I need some shame. I need some condemnation off my life. None of us got there on our own. Sometime in the past, and maybe even right now, somebody said, just come a little closer. Come with me. Just come and see. It'll be okay. Just listen and make up your own mind. And then after hanging out with you for a while, Jesus, we started trusting you. And then we gave part of our life to you. Then we then we gave all of our life to you and our life's never been the same. It's not, it's not been easy, but there, I think there's some people listening to my voice right now that says without Jesus, I would be dead. And without Jesus, I would be divorced or without Jesus, I would not have survived my divorce and a thousand other things. Without you, Jesus, we're just lost. So what do we do with that? I mean, we have this great privilege of having you in our lives and the answer is we have a responsibility because there's people in our lives that we love. So God, I wanna be the church of beautiful feet. I wanna be a church full of messy, lost, broken people. I wanna, I, I wanna wrestle with things that matter, not stupid religious stuff. I, I, I wanna be used by you. And I think there's a bunch of people nodding their heads along with me going, I wanna be used by you, Jesus, to make a difference in this world. So here we are, Jesus. Send us. We're your church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.